Welcome to Grow It Minnesota, the podcast about growing fruit, vegetables, flowers, and anything else in a cold, cold climate. I'm your host, Mary Shear, a home gardener and garden writer based in St. Paul, Minnesota. My book is The Northern Gardener from Apples to Zinnias, a basic guide for northern gardeners with a little history thrown in. The history is from the Minnesota State Horticultural Society. I also edit their magazine, Northern Gardener, and you can find more about that at northerngardener.org or check out my blog, mynortherngarden.com. Now let's get on to today's guest. Well, today I'm with Melissa Wilsford of the Rustic Hills Garden Co., which is a company that focuses on edible gardening landscaping. And I'm excited to talk to Melissa because I know she works with people who are newer to gardening and gets them excited about gardening and helps them do gardening well. So, uh, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business, how it got started, and what you do? Hi, thanks, Mary, for having me. Um, I, I just have to start by saying I've always loved gardening, and that's my main reason. My own love and wonder for it is why I want to share it. Um, you know, I started gardening as a kid and it just has brought me so much joy throughout my life. Um, my dad taught me to garden. He had a big garden. Um, but you know, as I grew up and, uh, learned more as an adult, I started to appreciate the other aspects of gardening and why it's actually a really important or valuable, um, thing to do to have your own garden. Uh, you know, when I owned my first home and became a real adult, I appreciated the economical advantages of having your own garden and, um, you know, saving money on that fresh organic produce. Um, when I became a parent and started having, having kids, I saw what a great classroom it is. Um, and then just as I delved more into food issues, really, I started to really learn and appreciate gosh, just so many other aspects, the social, economic, environmental um, impacts of where our food comes from. And I'll give you a hint, having it shipped from 2000 miles away is not the answer to really anything. (laughs) So um, it became more of a conviction for me as well, or a motivation and inspiration. I just, it became more of a powerful thing. I would actually recommend one of my favorite authors, Barbara Kingsolver, who wrote oh. Animal Vegetable Miracle. And that is just a beautiful book. And yeah, love that book. Yeah. Love that book. <laughs> it is so great. She's such a beautiful writer. Yes, she is. And she's a novelist too. And then she did this. Mm-hmm. It's she's amazing. Um and then another favorite is Seed Savers Exchange. And I started going, they're a nonprofit who uh, works in seed preservation. And I started going to their conferences several years ago and really started to understand the importance of preserving not only our food heritage, but also the biodiversity that's in our food crops. And that, gosh, what did I learn? O- over the last century, over 90% of the varieties of our food have been lost because of merging seed companies and things like that. And that it was in the hands of home gardeners that many of those seeds were preserved or actually brought back from what was thought to be extinction. So um, things just got, you know, it gets cooler and cooler the more you think about it. So, mm-hmm. um, and it also was at Seed Savers Exchange that I heard uh, Rosalind Creasy speak on edible landscaping. And I had already been considering 
um, doing, you know, edible garden design. You know, I had small kids and a stay at home mom. So I was like, kind of, what am I going to do when I grow up again? <laughs> and um, my husband was encouraging me toward uh, business and food gardens. But it was that talk on edible landscaping that really clicked for me. Like, this is what takes it to, like, for in my mind, an exciting and viable business because a lot of people already. Uh, spend time on their landscaping. They already know that's a part of caring for the home that they want to do. And this is a way that I can meet them where they're at if they're not ready for a vegetable garden um, to start growing their own food in their landscape. You know, you don't have to have this walled garden. Um, you can have it mixed in throughout your landscape and still have uh, the beauty that you want along with the productivity. So then I actually thought about it the whole way home from that conference. And I'm like, that's it. I'm doing this business. And I got started within a few months after that. Yeah. And how long have you been in business? Uh, that was the fall of 2018. So this summer was my second full season in business. Wow. Yeah. So it's still very, very young yeah, business. Very young. <laughs> Good. And what does your own backyard garden look like? I mean, do you have... I I see your Instagram, which people, if you like to look at beautiful vegetable gardens, mm -hmm. you should follow uh, at Rustic Hills Garden Co. Yep, that's on right. Instagram because they're gorgeous. But what okay. does your garden look like? Um, well, there's a few shots of my garden in there, and it's about a. It's not, man. I start designing these gardens for other people, and I'm like, yours is bigger than mine, but mine's probably 25 by 40 feet, so it's still a good sized garden. I have. I switched over to raised beds several years ago, and I'm so glad I did that. So I have kind of the structure in place, good organization. I have a couple arch trellises that I've constructed that are fun for growing vertically. Um, and I kind of try to grow each bed with an eclectic mix of uh, vegetables that do well together, herbs, some flowers. And, you know, I'm kind of like a, I started it. There's some things that maybe I would change, you know, but I started this. 12 or 13 years ago, but um, it really can evolve. That's what's nice about an annual vegetable garden is you can move things around. And so I really, I'm, yeah, it's really looking good and it's pretty fun. I like having my own garden. <laughs> Obviously everyone knows that. <laughs> so, um, so in your business, what do you do? You actually design edible gardens. You focus exclusively on edibles, right? I like to say that we specialize in edibles um, like I said, we do that edible landscaping piece. And with that, um, I also work in perennial flowers, shrubs, grasses, things like that. I'm also very um, a big proponent of caring for our native pollinators. So oftentimes I'll try to encourage people toward native plantings in their landscape. But um, I do let the client kind of guide, like, let's say we're putting in a new landscaping project, you know, how much of this would you like to be edibles? I will always be kind of pushing for that and like asking what they would like and giving them lots of ideas, but certainly we mix flowers and all sorts of things. And then, yes, I also do design um, and help install, or we can do full installation too. the edible, like vegetable garden that you think of that has a fence around it. And it's all mostly vegetables or fruits. Right. So did you work? So this year, there were about 16 million new gardeners nas nationally. That's what the stats coming from the National Garden Bureau That's and some amazing. other groups. It's amazing. It's a yeah. large number of people. Yeah. Um, so did you did you work with any new gardeners this year? 
Yeah. In fact, in the last two years, I'd say that I've almost exclusively worked with new gardeners. Um, those are the one, either new, brand new, or kind of have started out, stumbled a bit and really want someone to help them take it to the next level. So yes, definitely. But that was nothing new for me. However, I did notice uh, that there were, you couldn't get seeds, you couldn't get building supplies, like a lot of these things were sold out. Um, so my clients were asking me or past plant clients, where can I find seed, blah, blah, blah. So um, help connect them with some resources. And luckily, I always have too many seeds. So I was fine. <laughs> I shared a lot of those. This is why I always order my seeds in January. Yes, <laughs> very smart. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the common problems that new gardeners face? I mean, what are the things that that sort of end up being daunting? And I think that the main, I would say three problems that brand new gardeners face or these could even be, be seen as the three reasons why a garden ends up failing mm-hmm. is um, a lack of sun. Um, people sometimes think they have a really sunny area. Um, it feels sunny to them, but in truth, maybe it's only really sunny for four hours a day. So I always encourage people to chart and map how much sun they're actually getting in that space before you decide to put a garden there. The second one is weeds. So um, kind of taking assessment of where you're putting a new garden, has it been a complete field of weeds, which means there's millions of seeds under there and you need to think of a plan to kind of smother that and build on top. Um, And then the other half of that is also just letting them get out of control. You have to stay on top of them and not let them go to seed and produce millions of seed babies that are going to come back and haunt you later. And then the third one is uh, animals specifically like deer and rabbits who get in and they eat everything. And lots of times new gardeners don't even realize that it's a rabbit getting in. They say, oh, I did have a fence up. And I look and I say, well, I can see they got in here or there. They can go under and through. I mean, they can go through a chain link fence easily. Even a pretty large rabbit can and they can dig. So they will come through and just mow everything down, um, which... (laughs) is very depressing when that happens. So those I'd say were the main three. Of course, there's other problems too. Uh, Soil issues, like too sandy, too clayey, and you're trying to figure out how to deal with that. Other pests, of course, bugs um, can cause a lot of grief. But I'd say those top three, if you start off there, you're probably going to have a pretty successful first year. Right. And so now the sun, You, you, let's talk about the solutions to those three things. I mean, so the sun, it's and and I agree with this totally. You should look out your window, sp- pick a day and yep. every hour, look out your window and see where the sun is because yes. you'll be surprised, yep. especially in urban areas. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the main one with the sun is just charting it. Like you said, observing and writing it, I guess by charting, I just mean take your take some notes so that you know how many hours you have there and really for a thriving garden, I mean, you can get by with some items like maybe some leafy greens or herbs on a less than six hours of sun, but like anything you get out of it, what you put into it. So a good rule of thumb is that the smaller the thing that you eat off of the plant, the less sun you need. And the larger the thing you eat off the plant, the more sun you need. So for large fruited items like squash and cucumbers and big old tomatoes, you're going to need eight plus hours. Um, But then you can start going down from eight with 
smaller. So even a cherry tomato versus a full tomato, full size tomato, put that in a little bit, you know, if you've got a place that's only seven hours or you want to try doing it in six, a lot of these items will, these plants will survive in less and even produce some fruit, but you'll just get so much more if you can get them in eight hours plus. And the only reason really that they say you can grow herbs and and lettuce and stuff in four hours of sun is because you just eat the leaf. So even if it's a scrawny little thing, you can still eat the leaves, right? But no doubt if you put that kale plant in eight hours of sun, it's going to turn into a monster. Whereas if it's in a bunch of shade for a lot of the day, it's going to be a a lot smaller. Right. Right. And so then let's talk about weeds. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. As someone who once started a vegetable garden in an area that had been a kind of a wild meadow, I can tell you there are a lot of weeds. Yes, I <laughs> and know. many of them come on rhizomes. Yeah, <laughs> travel oh, yes. miles to get to your garden. Yeah. So, what do you do on the weed front? Um, so, for weeds, like I started to uh, talk about earlier, if you have a really bad weed situation, you may want to actually just build on top of that. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you, you mentioned rhizomes, so like certain grasses and other weeds that spread by these underground roots, you can pull them all out of your garden and they'll just keep coming. It feels like every little root segment turns into a new plant. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that case, I've found that it's just better to um, put down maybe, I, I don't really usually do landscape fabric. Actually, what I would do is just put down either cardboard or a thick layer of newspaper, paper, paper bags. And then on top of that, several inches of mulch. So are like wood chips. So maybe four or five inches on top of all of that stuff, all that, that garbage underneath, and then build a raised bed right on top of that. So that's been a, a proven method for me. And you know, the, the seeds then stay dormant. They're still there, um, but they don't see the light of day. So they don't really come back to bother you. The, those, some of those weeds, especially the ones that spread by rhizomes may still come through and cause you some grief, but usually you can just take care of those as they come and they will eventually run out of energy. So you pull it, you keep pulling it. In fact, I don't want to misspeak, so maybe look it up, but there's something to like pulling it before it has a certain number of full leaves, like two mm. or something, and then it will not have enough photosynthesis, you know, stored energy to come back. You just keep plucking, 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 and you'll be able to get those few that do pop through to give up eventually. <laughs> so otherwise, right. you know, if you kind of just have, maybe you're just taking out lawn and it's not so bad and you um, need to, you want to save money by not doing all those extra materials and the raised beds, you know, you have to buy the lumber for that and add extra soil. Um, So if you're going to just build in your lawn, you just have to commit to getting those weeds early and often. So it's much easier to pull a small weed than a big one. And in fact, you can get like a loop style hoe and just use a tool to scrape off all those little baby leaves. You don't need weeds. Sorry, you don't even need to pick them. You just kind of scrape them and you stay on top of it. And you'll save yourself effort in the long run, for sure. Right. And I'll just take a note here for listeners. We do, I have a couple of different blog posts mm-hmm. on what's called the lasagna or the smother method of starting a new garden. And I'll link to those in the show notes because that is a great way to start a new garden in a lawn or yes. in a bad situation. Yes, yeah. exactly. I do love it. Yeah. Okay. So lastly, let's talk a little bit more about bunnies 
Yes. Another one of my nemesis is. I know that in, I live in an urban area. So for me, it's the bunnies, but I know for a lot of people, it's the deer and they're, you know, they're like big. So what do you do with critters? Right. Okay. So if you have bunnies, you need at least a two and a half foot, I'd say just get a three foot chicken wire fence. So even if you have a nicer garden fence that you're working with, if it has openings greater than as an inch square, then do an extra layer of that chicken wire over the top. Mm -hmm. If that makes you sad about your pretty fence, just know that you can't really, you don't really notice it from far away. And once you start growing things in and around your fence, it's not even that noticeable. So you put that in and you bury it a bit too. Um, Depending on how aggressive and determined your rabbits are, you may be able to get away with just tucking it in the ground a couple inches, or you might have to go six inches under. And another way to deter them is to have, if you have very aggressive diggers, is to bend that wire fencing out toward the outside of the garden wall. And then they kind of start digging near the fence and they just hit the, the, that bent part, if that makes sense. Right. Um, It gets uncomfortable for them. Then for deer, uh, they can jump pretty high, but they tend to not want to jump into an enclosed space. So typically, um, you know, like some people get away with a shorter fence, but I would say go with like a six foot um, welded wire type fence or come up with another, you know, material that you like. Of course, you don't want just a wood fence that would block all your sun, (laughs) but um, a little higher for the deer. Or if you do have a shorter fence, you can try stringing, people try stringing um, like wire or like even just rope or something that if they kind of are going to run into it, they won't get themselves tangled up in that. But they will stick their head through. If they can lean over, even if they are too nervous to jump in your garden, they'll lean in and get what they can get. So you definitely want to uh, think about that. If you're going to have food growing close to the edges, you better get that taller fence up. Yeah, yeah. And does um, do floodlights or anything like that, if you have like motion detector lights, do those help at all? You know, I always like to say that every little uh, cohort of animals in each neighborhood is different. So what works in one neighborhood may not work in another. So some people have success with, yes, like a motion detect, you know, detecting floodlight turning on, although deer will come during the day too, in which case that might not help much. Um, some people have their, their, what am I trying to say? Sprinkler system oh, oh, yeah. to the time of day that those deer are usually coming around try to just deter them from coming in. Um, some yeah. other times blinking lights are on at night and things like that. There's some other spray on uh, deterrence that you can do. So you really, you kind of just have to try it out, try out the different things and see what works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about raised beds, which I agree. Those are absolutely the best way to start doing vegetable gardening and to have the most success with your vegetable garden is in a raised bed. Sure. But what do you, what do you put in there for a soil mix? Cause you have to, if you've got a raised bed, you can't just throw the soil from around it into the bed, right? Right. Well, and one of the the great advantages of starting a new garden with raised beds is that you're bringing in fresh soil, which if you get it from a good source, does not have any weed seeds in it. So especially if you're trying to avoid weeds, don't just dig up your garden soil or your, sorry, your lawn soil and stick it in the beds. Some people do have really good soil though. Like let's say you've already been working in your garden for a while and you have 
um, been amending the soil with compost and you've ta- stayed on top of the weeds and certainly like reuse some of that soil and maybe you're just using the raised beds for organization and things like that, then go ahead and use some of that. But I usually, if we're sourcing a large amount of soil, I look for um, a supplier who has a garden blend, which is usually done up right, you know, has the right amount of comp- organic compost mixed in there for the nutrients and for the soil structure. And it has, um, the, you know, it has like a nice loamy texture. So it's not too sandy, which won't hold uh, water and it'll dry out really fast. And it's not too clayey, which is going to be really hard and comp- it will compact really easily. So, and then if you're doing bags from the store, I'm very partial to choosing an organic soil blend, going to be growing food, then I would say for sure, use an organic soil blend that's meant for raised garden beds. Yeah. Yeah. So um, once you've got everything ready, so what are the kind of the best edibles for people to start with or the best way for someone who's new to gardening to get started and have some success? So for as far as what crops I would recommend, you know, you're going to have some of your biggest challenges are going to be the ones we already mentioned, but hopefully you're taking care of the sun, the weeds and the animals. But um, earlier I mentioned you might also have issues with pests like, you know, vine borers will attack a squash crop and can totally decimate it. Japanese beetles will come and eat all the foliage off of your uh, your some of your crops more than others. Uh, aphids can be a really big headache. So what I like to do is, you know, either if you had problems with that, with some of those, then you have to think about the the counter solution to each of them. Or like you said, just start off with some reliable crops. So for example, with squash, it can be very hard to grow. It has a lot of pest pressure and disease too. But start with butternut squash. Butternut squash and some other varieties are more resistant to vine borer. So um, for instance, even though I was very diligent this year picking off all the eggs and I actually covered my squash for a long time and I also went with a knife and cut out all those nasty maggots that were growing in my squash, I still pretty much lost most of the crop from my two other varieties, but my butternut squash is great. <laughs> so. right. butternut, but, and there's a variety that I think is from Seed Savers, or I know I think I may have gotten it from Seed Savers yes. called Honey Nut, okay. which is a small one. It's yes. a small, if you have a smaller garden, it's a smaller squash. Great variety. Yes. Yes. I do love, actually I grew a smaller one too, but mine was from row seven seeds. It was an experimental variety, but also very good. Also a butternut type. So Other ones that are easy to grow, I mean, green beans are awesome because they have very low, I have never had a disease problem with green beans. The Japanese beetles do seem to like beans and soybeans, but they don't really affect the crop too much, even if they eat a lot of the the leaves. And they, uh, the the beans just keep coming. You pick them and they come and they come and come. So they're very, a, a rewarding crop. Um, to plant. And I feel like it's a sure winner if you feel like you need a win in the garden. <laughs> also in the legume family, you know, peas early in the spring, you can grow those. They're like a snap pea or a snow pea. Those are also easy to grow. I mean, these are seeds that are nice and big, easy to plant. They sprout really easily and the bugs don't bother them. So those are some great winners. Um, 
I would also recommend if you like cucumbers and tomatoes, definitely grow those because they're so productive. They do, you are going to fight a little more with the bugs and diseases on both of those. But even when they eventually crumble to disease pressure or pest pressure, they have already produced so much for you that you're still going to get a good return on uh, cucumbers and tomatoes. Right, right. And there are also when you're buying your plants or your seeds, I mean, there are certain varieties that Mm -hmm. are just incredibly prolific if that's and sometimes with the cucumbers, that's like too much. But, but, you know, if you really like them, you know, look around and see which varieties are are really prolific. Yeah, well, those are all good, great crops for people to start with. Now, what about some people want to start seeds indoors. Would you recommend that for a new gardener or what's your, you know, what's your thoughts on things that have to be started indoors? Like tomatoes, you can't just put a tomato seed in the ground in Minnesota and expect it to grow. Correct. Yes. So So exactly. There are some where you're going to have to start from seed and some where you're going to have to start from a transplant. Um, And you can usually look that up pretty easily on the internet, or I have a resource sheet on that on my website. Um, So the question is, if you're going to have to start from a transplant, like you said, tomatoes, then do you make your own little baby plant by starting a seed indoors during winter here in Minnesota, or do you go to the nursery and buy one? For a new gardener, I don't know. I think you really have to measure your excitement. Like there's nothing wrong with trying out, trying to grow a few from seed and then if they don't work out, go to the nursery and buy the, the transplant. I've known new gardeners, I actually had a few this year, who were brand new and they started their plants indoors and they did great, the whole shebang. I offered a seed starting workshop early this spring before COVID. And um, a lot of the people who came there were new gardeners. They just wanted the advice and the guidance and how to start these seeds and how to take care of them and what to do next. And a lot of those people had tons of success. So Um, I wouldn't say don't do it. Just know that, you know, you might overwater them or underwater them and one day they're just dead and don't get too down on yourself. Just know that you can spend a few dollars at the nursery to get a transplant. Right, right. And maybe and hopefully in 2021, we'll have a little more of the plant sales out. I I mean, I'm crossing my fingers for that where you can buy them from like a a garden club or a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. There's some wonderful varieties available there. And and in the nurseries, they have great varieties too, but sometimes there's a little more choice at at the plant. Exactly. And actually you mentioned that. And I would say that that is one reason to grow from seed is that, you know, you mentioned that variety from seed savers exchange. There are hundreds, literally thousands of varieties of plants that, you know, produce food. It's not just the three that you see at the grocery store. They come in all colors and shapes and sizes and flavors. It's so interesting and so fun to expand your palate that way. But you're, the really interesting varieties, you know, maybe aren't being sold at the store because they're not popular enough. They're not well-known enough that they're not going to be sold at the nursery And also, by the way, you're not going to get them at the grocery store because they probably don't ship well or they probably don't. You know, there's probably something about them that don't make them great for the commercial market. So have some fun with those seed catalogs in the winter when it's freezing outside and just kind of dream about the possibilities and go for it and start a few indoors if you want to try out that new unique variety of tomato or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So for those who were new gardeners this year, maybe they experienced some success. Maybe they had some failure. What would you suggest they do sort of for planning for 2021 for going forward? Yes. So first of all, you know, write down all those those experiences that you had. Take a few notes about what went well, what didn't go well, and what you'd like to change for next year, what your goals are for next year. You make that little list of failures and then you can start researching solutions or start thinking up some solutions to the the setbacks that you had. And with that, I feel like you'll get really far. You know, sometimes we just forget what happened last year. Wait, why didn't that work out? I don't remember. That was so long ago. I thought I'd remember, but I don't. So take a little, and especially um, growing as a gardener is really just building up experiences. So if you take even a little page of notes every year and save that, you can look back over the years and it'll help you remember those experiences so you can learn from them going forward. Everyone goes through that really with any skill, right? But especially, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much observation. It's like a science lab out there in your garden. (laughs) So you really need to keep track. And then just as far as preparing for next year, otherwise, I would say, you know, you need to take care of your garden this fall. Um, That might be something that can be overlooked by a new gardener. You need to clean up all the debris that's out there. The reason for that is that pests and disease um, will overwinter in that plant material. So you want to clear it out. If it was previously diseased that you could observe, then you're going to want to actually bag that up and get it off your property. Or, you know, move if it's not diseased, then you can go ahead and put it in the compost pile. And then finally, a, a really great thing to do to prepare for next year is to protect that soil and feed that soil by covering it with either a layer of compost, a layer of shredded leaves, or both. And that keeps your soil from being just, um, you know, abused over the winter months with the wind and the sun and the, and the rain all beats down on your naked soil. And it it really deteriorates the quality of your soil, the soil structure and the nutrients. So you cover it, keep that soil covered. And then those leaves will break down and become part of the organic matter in your soil. So that's like a double bonus. And yes, moving forward, you should always have your soil covered. So no bare soil in your garden that will also prevent that those problems with disease that we've been talking about before. Yeah, great. Well, those are great, great tips. And um, I'm going to have you come back, I think, in the spring, and we'll talk a little bit about seed starting. Yes, that'd be so fun. (laughs) Get people excited about seed starting, because it isn't that hard, but it is a little tricky. It can be intimidating. Sometimes (laughs) it's good to have a friend to help you out the first time. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Melissa, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thanks so much, Mary. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Grow It Minnesota. If you have comments, questions, or a topic you'd like to see covered, please send me an email at growitmn at gmail.com. You can also follow along between episodes at growitmn on Instagram. Have a great day. We'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Thank you.